tagline of Nick Adams King's blog about his adoption provides a lovely summary of his priorities in life. I've done some pretty cool things, he states, but nothing's as cool as creating our family. Nick was kind enough to talk to me recently about how adoption works in the UK where he lives, and he lets me in on some of the ups and downs he has experienced building a loving family with his husband, this time on Adoption Uncovered. Can you walk me through your your system yeah. and how it works over there? Okay, so the um, the important thing to I suppose the big difference is that the system here there is no private system here. Okay, it is entirely state controlled, as in governmental control. If I use the word state, it's not your North Carolina state; it's the, the government. Um, so it's government controlled, um, and it is managed on at the level of what you would consider to be a state level, which is the upper tier of local government. Um, and uh, the, the process basically requires you, if you wish to adopt, you have to be approved by the government as an adopter. In our case, the uh, we've adopted twice. So we've got a son who is now 16 and he was almost four when we brought him home. So we adopted him in uh, 2009 and we have a daughter who's 12, who we brought home in 2012, and she was 18 months old when that when we brought her home. Um, and uh, interestingly, the system changed slightly in between the two processes, but the, the principle was the same, which is that um, you need to be approved as an adopter. And so that approval comes from your local council, your local government so you have to apply and you are assessed by social workers you have to go and do training and you're trained in everything from um you know your expectations of care through to the kind of backgrounds that children will be coming from um about attachment theory about theraplay about well, you know you're, you're given all the tools and you're told and you're given the, you know, the details of where to go to look for um, help and, and for advice and and so on. And generally what happens is that you're then given a support package as well post-placement of a child that supports you through the first two to three years. And then there is a national scheme called the Adoption Support Fund, which enables you to access further support later on if you run into, you think things can go fine for a few years and then something happens. And the reason all of that is in place as well is that the children coming into the system for adoption are equally coming through the state they're coming through through the governmental system so virtually all children placed for adoption in the uk have been taken from birth families as a consequence of neglect or of um abuse or you know this stuff has happened to them which has meant that the state has intervened and said that it is in their best interests that they should be removed from their birth families and they should be placed for adoption. And um, there are a few um, children that, that are called relinquished children. So that's where people have had, um, people have babies, but they don't feel able to look after them. They're very few and far between. Um, and then there is the occasional orphan 
but in those cases, normally um, family will pick pick them up, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a separate kind of process called special guardianship, which enables families to pick up children in those circumstances. And also in circumstances where the state has stepped in and said, we don't think you, the parents, can look after this child, but is there somebody else in your family that can look after them? And there's a, there's a state-sponsored system to kind of allow family members to take the children of other family members to look after them. So it's all it's all very regulated and it all goes through the court system and it's um uh, and and you know the good thing about it is that it's uh as an adoptive parent you are given loads of training you're given loads of advice you then need to go through a process of being what's called approval by uh, what's called a, what we have as an adoption panel so each area each each local government area has an adoption panel that it comprises social workers, people who have been adopted, so adopted adults, adopters, and other people that must have a link to adoption. So I chair an adoption panel, and I chair an adoption panel for um, an area that comprises two local government areas called Dorset and Bournemouth Christchurch Pool, which is an urban area of three cities that have been linked together. And um, we have people who have been adopted, adopters, all those those people, also um, psychotherapists, people who work in uh, 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 paediatric doctors who who work with adopted children, um, psychologists. um, And the range of people that we have on the panel ranges from people in their 70s down to a 21-year-old adopted adult who, you know, she's just come out of university and is, is doing that. So having gone through all the training, you then have to, your report is put to the adoption panel. Those people then interview you um, uh, at a meeting and then vote on whether you should be approved. And if you're approved, then you uh, you are you can be matched with a child. And that process is a little bit of you looking to say, you know, proactively looking to say, are there children out there for me? And there are ways by which you can see which children are in care and what's happening to them. But in large part, it's about the relationship your social worker has with their colleagues who are childcare social workers to say, I've got this family. They, you know, uh, they're looking for a child in this range of this gender or of whatever. And do you have any? And of course, those children having been removed from their families in large part are probably in foster care. And so a process is set up there where there's a, there's a, a match is made between people. And the way it works is that initially as an adopter, you're approached and said uh, and told, do you want to you know, consider this child? And you're given the report about them. Uh, so there's a, called a, a child protection report, which gives you all the details of their background and and so on and what's happened to them if you say yes you'd be interested in doing so then um, it goes into a process of formally being checked and matched um, you quite often are given the opportunity to meet the child but in a uh, in a setting like you might go to the park and the foster carer will bump into you as if they're your friend 
and and so it's it's kind of arranged in a very kind of professional way like that so the child doesn't really know what's going on um and uh then again you go back through the adoption panel process to be matched and what they're looking at is to check that you have the skills and you have the um you are prepared and you're well enough prepared to take on whatever challenges that child or those children might bring and again having gone through that then it goes into a process of transition whereby there is a transition arrangement of you picking up on all the information that that there is about the child um that uh you you go basically you go almost live with the foster carer for a few days uh and begin to take over the chair of the care of the child then the child comes to your home for a bit and then they go back to foster care at, at night and then so, so over a period of about anything from a week to a month mm. you go through this kind of weird process to get to the point where the child then comes to your home then you get assessed by social workers for about six months they come in and they they keep an eye on what's happening and you know the um, the frequency of the visits decreases as long as everything's going okay and you get to a point where a recommendation is made to court that, that the adoption should be formalized and the child becomes yours it's quite a good system in terms of giving you loads of preparation and um, loads of uh, support through it. And, you know, as I say, for those first two or three years, you have direct contact with your social worker and they, they, they can help put stuff in place for you. Then beyond that, it's a as needed support that, that you get. And there, you know, there could be much more and it's still hoops to go through to get to that support, but it is available to you and there are routes through which you can do it. So, yeah, so that's our system, really. So in our in our case, to go right back to the beginning again, in our case, um, uh, when they, uh, as part of the approval of um, uh, effectively gay marriage, it wasn't called gay marriage back then, but uh, as part of that in 2000, it was introduced in here, became legal here in 2005. Um, they also allowed um, same-sex couples to adopt. There was no prohibition on people who were homosexual adopting prior to that, but it was only one person that could adopt it. We didn't adopt as a couple, if it made sense. Nick has been active in politics in the UK and run for a number of offices. His high-profile job at times caused some complication in the otherwise fairly smooth adoption process of his son. We were quite, you know, genuinely had a colleague whose partner was a social worker, um, a childcare social worker, who literally came and said to us one day, you two need to adopt. And we were like, what? We kind of thought about it and we thought, okay. And and so we began to go through that process. It took about 18 months, but along the way, we realized that um, the social worker friend was the social worker for a little boy who had been abused by his mother. Oh. And so for whom uh, they were looking specifically to, to say, because he said to them, I'd like two daddies, I don't want a mummy. So we were the first male couple um, to be uh, approved in our part of the country, not in the not in the not, not in the UK, but in, in our bit of um, England mm. on the south coast. We were the first male couple there, um, and uh, it turned out that that was Matthew, and um, 
yeah. So and we so that just that that process I've told you about is what we went through to get there. Then after a couple of years, they went, "Oh, you two have done a quite a good job." <laughs> and so then we got Megan. Does it normally go smoothly for for most people, and especially no. most? Yeah. No. So um, at the time, so I'm um, as you probably gathered, I'm a politician here. I noticed uh, that. Yes. Yeah. So I'm kind of, and I was back then as well. Okay. Um, uh, in fact, that was quite a, uh, a, a, a created quite a hurdle for us because I was quite well known. And obviously there's a degree of confidentiality around what, what you do um, and how you get matched up. So that was quite challenging for them because they weren't sure how to kind of manage this. There was also the press interest of going, oh, hang on a minute, this guy's, he's a politician and he's going to adopt. And so, and that leaked out as part of an election campaign, which wasn't very helpful. It just created them with challenges to go, well, hang on a minute. We need to be really careful about this because we don't want to be seen to be giving him kind of a, any favours as a consequence of who he is. Mm-hmm. So th- so there, there, were, there were challenges of that. It did, it has helped, uh, I think, in the respect that I've been able to navigate the system because I understand what it's like. But I would equally say that um, much of it's to do with us being very lucky and having a very good social worker and having very good social workers work, work with us all the way through and, and working in an area where um, the, the local government has invested in childcare um, and children's services very heavily over the years, more so than perhaps in other areas. It's been very well organised in providing that support. And, and so it's more through luck than judgment. It it does, it, it does, um, and I think in my experience, for the majority, for the vast majority of people, it goes like it has for us. But when you're being considered for for a match with a child, they suggest that you sort of have a bump into meeting with them and uh, do that. So um, we'd been matched and we'd gone through adoption panel and we'd, they'd matched us up, uh, but they'd said to us, okay, well, um, why don't we arrange for you to see him? Um, and we thought what we'd do is we would get the foster carer to take him to a soft play area. So, you know, one of these places where they've got climbing frames and they've got, it's all in a big kind of warehouse. Do you know what I mean? I don't know whether you have them, but they've got these things that kids, they all run around and scream basically all the time. Yeah. Hideous, but, you know, necessary to burn off energy. So they wanted us to go to one of those. They said, oh, you can just go there and get a cup of coffee and you can sit and watch him. And the, so that in itself made us go, really? Gosh, well, that's a good idea. Two blokes turning up and watching a little boy running around with all of these people. And then they went, well, you know, and you could go to this particular one. Well, it happened to be the place where I was standing for Parliament at the time. So for the previous three years, each month a leaflet with my face had gone through every door in that area. Oh, boy. So I was like, so let's get this straight. You want us to go to, it's called Frankie's Fun Factory. You want us to go to Frankie's Fun Factory and sit and watch a little boy in amongst people who will know exactly who I am. And you uh, don't think I'm going to get arrested for doing that. And they terrible like, idea. No. And they were like, and they were like, oh yeah, it's probably a bad idea. I mean, I think it's a really bad idea. So we we ended up going to a sea life center 
uh, and we got there and the foster carer and the social worker were there to take him around. And um, she came over and she said, look, bump into me and go, oh, hello. And we'll go, oh, hello. And we're friends. And we just kind of took him around together as a group of four people doing that. And um, and that was fine. But it was just, it wasn't it, it wasn't poorly intentioned. It was just, you know, it was well intentioned, but just wasn't really well thought through. It was like, you know, you know that wouldn't look odd if you were saying if you were a heterosexual couple, but as the same two two guys, it was like no. Nick's role has given him a unique perspective on foster care in this community. He has compassion on those who are struggling to raise their children in difficult circumstances, especially during the COVID nineteen pandemic. So I, at the moment, am in charge of highways. So my 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 job is the kind of to be the politician in charge of highways for my state. The Brentwood bit of expression. And my budget, um, the, the local government budget is uh, just over two billion pounds a year. So that would be what? 2.5 billion dollars. Um, I, I have a budget of about 40 million pounds for fixing the roads. Our budget for children's social care is 600 million. Um, so that gives you a sense of- I see. Each each child in foster care costs the state per year around seventy five thousand pounds, so that's ninety thousand two hundred thousand mm. dollars. Uh, and we have at any one time fifteen hundred to two thousand children in foster care in our county. So, are those numbers going up or down, or pretty much they've gone, the same? They've, they've, they've gone up. They've gone up substantially since. Um, uh, since the pandemic, right? Um, they yeah. they went up by about twenty to twenty five percent through the pandemic period. We 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 of course we again we here had um, I guess more stringent stuff than you did because I know you there's a bit of a patchwork of things that happened in the states, but we we had very straightforward national lockdown or not national lockdown or different right. stages of it, and you know what you could do. But we 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 had uh, two periods of of three four months of complete lockdown um through 2020 and 21 and both of those had quite an impact on that right and i know that that affected things here too it was really tough for a lot of families i know our numbers went up also and yeah it's tough yeah and it is and it's been very tough and it's and it's taking a while and you know then obviously with cost of living and everything that we've got at the moment you know we we have all sorts of different pressures of brexit and um, inflation and right. you know, all that mm-hmm. it, it's um, it's been very tough for people um, and, and finding ways by which we can support them uh, is you know has been challenging there are times in life when the world expects mom to show up this unsaid awkwardness might be felt by many dads when they accompany their children there are more opportunities for this when children have two dads Nick tries to navigate this with grace and patience. I think the the um, the biggest the biggest challenge actually is fitting into a world where, as a parent in a heterosexual relationship or as a single parent even, you have a place and you are there was a there was a place where there are places where you're not as accepted as you would be if you were a different gender. 
I'll give you the, the perfect example for me is the school playground. So standing at three, the, he went to the village school and going and standing for the first couple of years when you're waiting. And so here, kids start school when they're four. So we, 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 you have, you, we have play schools, we have nursery schools and kindergartens and they go up. But in the, uh, our school year goes from September to July and in the September, when they are four and they're going to be five within that year of September to August, um, that's when they start school in that September. So you've got really quite little kids. Um, our daughter's born in August and she, so she was, you know, she was only just four when she started school. And uh, they both went to the village school <laughs> and there's a bit of a mummy mafia, I've got to say. Okay. Uh, that makes sense. You know, and you're the one bloke sometimes stood amongst all these women. It's hard to get in on all the gossip and that. Oh, no, they love it. But but it still just feels quite odd, you know. And, right. it's, and people, people were kind and people were always okay. Um, and, you know, there, there, uh, uh, there were some people who were a bit like, this is a bit odd and it's a bit different, but they, they were okay with it. And I think, you know... Um, and so, yeah, it was, but it, but there's a sense of feeling vulnerable about it, I suppose, in the sense that it's just, you are out of place. Um, and, Has and it gotten that. better over the years since you've been mm. a present figure there as they're growing up in school? Yeah, I guess. Uh, has it? It still feels a bit weird at parents' evenings and that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. We had a parents' evening for our child. You know, our, our eldest is now has gone to a sixth form college, so be like a junior college, I suppose, for you. Okay. Um, I know a junior college is kind of eighteen, isn't it? There, seventeen, eighteen. Yeah, it works weirdly. We have um middle school and we have elementary, middle school, high school, and then you go to some sort of college. Like yeah. A... So we, here, your exam points are sixteen, then eighteen, and you can either stay in school school system to do your sixteen to eighteen, or you can transfer across to a college. And he's gone to a college. Okay. Because a more more sort of free environment was the better place for him. And we so we had the parents' evening, and and one of the lecturers, one of his lecturers, clearly did not know that because of its doctor and Mister, clearly don't, did not know we were two blokes. I went, oh, you're two blokes. And we were like, oh, I shouldn't say that. And you know, and <laughs> oh my was, gosh. Uh, and and so you still you still come across that kind of thing, but then that it, it's 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 not disapproval; it's just surprise. Okay. You so know. is it still fairly fairly rare for you to have other? pairs of dads or moms in your area we we uh it's far less than it was i mean we were really quite exotic in the early okay. days you know um but uh uh subsequently no it's much i mean i think lots and lots lots and lots of people know lots of people know have gay friends so, you know, there are lots of, not there are lots of, not loads of gay people about, but there are enough gay people about that you're no longer unusual. It's becoming, it's a completely different environment to when I was coming out and growing up when it really was much more, um, uh, um, much more hidden and much more kind of closeted. Um, 
there are lots of people who and I think the experiences of people having same-sex parents are, are, are quite different as well. You, you've got quite a few people who there, there was another kid in um, school you know, after a while, um, actually older than our children, where dad left mum for another guy. So ended up with same-sex parents. No, she ended up with same-sex parents through that. And and so that kind of thing has happened sometimes. We you know We're... We still stand out because we're the only male couple in school um, now. Okay. Um, uh, but then there are, you know, it, 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 as we've always said, and you know, actually, the you know, to be fair, the mantra from the schools and the way they teach it is is the fact that families come in all shapes and sizes, and you know, there are single parents, and there are children that live with their grandparents, their children that live with foster parents, and their children that live with two mums, two dads, and a mum and a dad. And, and it's, you know, and family family just looks different for different people. And it's not always going to be the same. And it's not always going to be the same through your life. It might change as well. And that kind of process of, of saying that to, to children, I think, has helped. And I, you know, certainly, um, our son, you know, both children are quite resilient to it in the mm -hmm. sense of not really commenting upon it and not being an issue for them. Um, they don't go running around going we've got two dads but equally when people find out when they, their peers have found out it's attracted interest but there's greater interest in the fact that we're not their biological parents than the fact that we're two blokes. Nick and his husband have tried to be sensitive to how the experience of their adopted kids may differ from what they expect. Actually from our kids perspective there was always that sort of sense in yourself of having to justify why you've got a child that is the one to explain yourself before because people people never ask the question and you kind of think oh they're probably just wondering i don't want them to go away and kind of think oh were they surrogate or were they you know so i've always said this is our son and this is nothing he's adopted right and, and i used to say that to people uh, and he was about six or seven actually he was quite young and he just turned around to me one day and he went, will you please stop saying that? And I, I said, okay. And he said, I just, want you to, I just want to be your son. You don't have to explain anything about me. And I thought, actually, that was a really good lesson because at the end of the day, that's his story. It's his story to tell. Right. And, you know, so we've stopped saying that. We stopped saying that at that point. And we've never really said it about the kids since, unless somebody asks us. And I that said that is a great lesson to learn. And it's great that he was felt able to speak up and you listened like yeah. that's yeah and, that's and the, the, the only thing that we've changed out sort of a tip that yeah, sometimes we, we do some mentoring for people and just talk to people about adoption and that kind of thing ahead of time uh, and um the, the one thing i would also say it, it, that's really worked well inevitably when you go to medical appointments here um you are very often asked about um you know, is there any family history of you, know, you go to the opticians. Is there any family interest in history of diabetes or, you know, whatever it might be? And um, I uh, again, that used to drive him nuts, drive them both nuts. They would go, well, you'd have to go, I'm really sorry, I don't know, because, you know, we don't have that much information about them. We're not biological parents. We're not. And, and um, so I developed a thing where I've got a little card. I don't really need it any longer for, for him, but I do it still for Megan, where I've got a card that I just used to give to the people when we got the we got to the appointment. I handed the 
thing and say, could you give that to who the doctor or the optician or the dentist or whoever it is? Um, that just you say, um, sorry, we have no medical, we don't have no family medical history. Our children are adopted. Please don't ask us. And that worked. Um, yeah. Always Great. worked. That Listen. is a good tip. Yeah. And they, and um, so we've never had, so that stopped that whole kind of embarrassment for them. Because, you know, it, it you'd end up in this whole kind of conversation then about, oh, sorry, we don't really know. And and they'd, then somebody go, well, do you know, we know nothing. And we go, no, we know nothing. We have no, we have no medical report about birth parents. And um, yeah, so that, that 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 kind of thing, you know, has has was the only thing I would say that be substantially different, perhaps in terms of of the parenting experience that we had from from a heter from a heterosexual adopted family as well. Right. Nick would like to see the system provide better support for adoptive parents and others who interact with adopted children. You know, as an adopter, I look at it and go, "We really must provide more support for adoptive parents because it's just not good enough." Um, and that support doesn't need to be direct intervention. It needs to be education of the people who are around you. So education of schools, of teachers, you know, the number of times I've had to go in and explain the um, influence of neglect on our children and um, how, you know, the whole kind of learning shame thing has impacted the way they react to authority and they react to stuff, for example. I have to do that every year with their, their next school teacher, you know, and so you end up, you know, over the years doing that a lot. And I think if there was greater education and greater support given to the, the professionals who work with children, that would be a massive help to the system. So there was greater awareness. Um, but of course, you know, I see it from the other side to go, do you know what, there's not the money to do it. How, how could we afford to do that with people? And so that's always going to be a tension that you know, is always there, isn't it? And I'm, I'm sure that's not, that's something that is global. You know, it doesn't matter which, where you are or which country or what you're in, it's, there's still going to be that kind of challenge of, you could always do more and you could always right. want more. Well, I feel like too, the, the real, the, the impacts of these things on adopted kids, it's almost like we're, we're still learning about those things. So, mm. and it's not only adopted kids, there's a lot of kids who experience trauma. So hopefully maybe in the future there will be more education of yeah. teachers and professionals as we learn more about it and yeah. react correctly to it so yeah. but that's so. yeah. yeah it's 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 always something we could do better uh, and you can do things better by committing more resource to them of course you can you always can you know yeah but it's good. I think it's good to put it in words, the things that can be done better, because that's how you are able to start addressing them, right? Yeah. So, yeah. And it's how you build awareness of them. And I think if you give people practical examples as well, you know, mm -hmm. it, you, if you talk, if you turn up and say, if you turn up in, bunch of a in front of a bunch of people who are setting a budget about something and go, I need more support for therapeutic um, training or therapeutic input, they'll go, yeah, this is somebody asking for something else. But if you turn up and go, if you gave me some more money to do this, this situation would not have occurred, or this situation will not repeat itself. That has much, that's far more impactful. So talking about it is really worthwhile. As streamlined and smooth as the adoption process was for Nick and his family, 
The daily reality of raising adopted children can still be a challenge full of unexpected ups and downs. Get to know some of the stories from Nick and his family on his blog, nickkingsworld.com. You can also find the link on my website, adoptionuncovered.com. And thank you.